0: That open your Bible. Boy, that good song. Isn't that a good one? And well done. I appreciate that. Open your Bibles again to 1 John uh, chapter 2 and mark your place there as we will reference this passage of scripture and the message tonight. Some 20 years ago, I preached for the first time a message entitled A Third Generation Revival. Since that time, 20 years ago, every two to three years. In some form or some fashion, I have preached a part of that message again. And tonight, I am burdened for a third generation. I want you to understand something. I'm not mad at a third generation Christian. I'm not mad. I'm not upset at a third generation Christian. But I do want to give us a warning tonight. If we're not careful, we'll take for granted the blessings of God that our parents and grandparents paid a great price for. We'll take them for granted. And when you take something for granted, you lose it. And so tonight I preach again revival for the third generation. Heavenly Father, bless the preaching of your word. I preach tonight with a burdened and a broken heart. Lord, I have wept tears this week and today over the need for a nation blind and lost, being misguided and misled. Oh, how it needs to come back to you. And I pray that as the, the words of John were read tonight, and as we will preach these words, it will cause us to think not only of the blessings that we have, but the price that was paid to receive them. May we not take for granted the things that we enjoy, lest we lose them. In Jesus' name, amen. John witnessed a downward spiritual spiral of the generations as recorded in his first letter. John remembers the years of his younger life and his heart is grieved as he looks not only at the second but at a third generation and a lack of passion on the part of Christians who are just some 50 to 60 years past the days that Christ walked on the earth. After Jesus ascended to heaven, many gave their lives for the cause of Christ. I mean they were imprisoned, beaten, and martyred. And yet the gospel and the church prospered in an amazing way. John watches the second and third generation lose its fervor, its passion, and it stand for truth and right toward the close of the first century there were three major heresies that made their way into the church and let me tell you something when you stop being busy serving god and you start arguing about the truths of god you go off into heresy it's important that the church stay busy serving and moving forward. We don't need to debate the word of God. We need to preach it. We don't need to discuss what part of it is important or not important. We just need to preach it. There was a denial of the deity of Christ. There were those that denied the humanity of Christ. There were those that thought Jesus was just a good man or a common man that was visited of God and when God left him he became a common man again. But listen to me. John knew better because John had been with Jesus. He heard him preach. He heard him teach. He had seen him heal and feed the multitudes. He had seen the powerful works of Christ. How sad it is to see the news media report things that you know are not true. When you've lived the truth. And they report things that are not true. That's exactly what John was experiencing. Nero had launched the Roman Empire. There was a 300 year persecution of the church. And that persecution of the church and of Christians was just Terrible. It was hard to imagine as they were putting Christians to death simply for preaching that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, and by and through Him, by grace through faith, that they could have eternal life. They died a martyr's death for preaching that message. John lived through the beginning of that persecution. But the church did not suffer. The church flourished in spite of the persecution because it was powered, it was fueled by a passion of the servant of God filled with the spirit of God led by men who were willing to die for the cause of Christ. John watched the second generation come along and lose some of their zeal and passion I see it happen in church I'm not fussing at you but the truth is you don't know what your parents were saved from you don't know how excited and how thankful you should be and I see what John saw in the second generation and then the third generation just a few years from the days of Christ that slipped further into the coldness and deadness of a backslidden condition. I want you to see. I want you to hear an old man as he writes these words not only to the second generation but to his grandchildren. I write unto you little children because you have your sins are forgiven And for his name's sake. I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children because you have known the father. I have written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. He writes in verse number 15. Love not the world neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And he says to that third generation, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever." Our world today looks at what is called progressiveness as an improvement of society. But anything that takes you even a fraction of a distance from the truth and the power of the word of God is not a progression, it is a digression. The first generation was motivated by their convictions. I want to ask you to think with me tonight. How many of you, and I'll ask you to raise your hands, how many of you knew the generation? Maybe it was you. Maybe it was your parents. Perhaps it was your grandparents, and even some, your great-grandparents, that you were the first generation. They were the first generation to know Christ as Savior. Perhaps you knew the generation whose life was hurting because of sin and because of worldliness, and you knew them, and boy, when they got saved from a life of sin, I mean, they served God with a passion. Some of you, it was your parents. Some of you, it was you. You were saved from a life of sin. You were saved from that emptiness, that darkness, that void that nothing that this world had to offer uh, could fill or touch or help that void or to help that hurt. All oh, but the day that you trusted Christ as Savior, that's exactly what you were looking for. And you have given your life with a passion to serve Christ. The first generation typically is the generation that is motivated by conviction. They've grasped the truths that have not only saved them, but have literally changed their lives. They're motivated by a passion to propagate these truths not only to others, but certainly to their children because they do not want their children to experience the hurt. The pain, the embarrassment, all of the darkness and emptiness that they had in their life. They want their children to know the joy and gladness of serving God from birth, childhood, and the rest of their lives. The first generation of Christians have experienced life as an unconverted person. They've experienced those hurts and pains. They've experienced that the devil and the world is nothing but a liar and a deceiver. And there is no joy. There is no gladness in the world. But that gladness and joy was experienced the day you came to Christ. When they came to Christ, that first generation, they came, and I'll use the phrase, lock, stock, and barrel. They gave themselves completely to God. They gave up their sin for service to God. And some would say, with everything in me that I gave to serve the devil, I'm going to give that to serve Jesus. And they did. It wasn't just Sunday, it was every single day. I've heard folks give testimony. I've heard folks give testimony that then when, they were, when they were drinking and on drugs and every day that's what they lived for. Another bottle. Another time of drunkenness. Another time of mind numbing. But when they got saved, they said, I looked, What I look for in the bottle that I never found, I found in Christ. And they gave themselves for the joy and gladness. And every day was a day walking with Christ. My dad gave up his career at the Kroger Company to serve God. He gave everything he had. I mean every single thing he had. And he wanted nothing to do with anything but serving God. Conviction-driven service. I remember one night I was laughing in church like some young people are tonight, and I won't do to you what my dad did to me. They weren't laughing. I wasn't laughing at him. I just wasn't paying attention. I wouldn't do anything but listen to him. I was laughing at the kids around me. I just wasn't paying attention. He had a way of cracking his finger. It was sort of like a thunderbolt. I mean, he called my name. He said, stand up. And I stood up. He said, son, when we get home, you go straight to your your room and you understand what that means. Yes, sir. I mean, friend, everything he did was with a bold conviction. You didn't discuss it. You didn't give your opinion because opinion didn't matter. His faith had found a resting place on the word of God. He believed that every day was a day to give his life of serving Christ with conviction. By the way, I remember the first generation of Christian education. I, I, I remember why we started Christian schools. We couldn't believe it, but they started teaching evolution in public schools. And our parents said, you mean to tell me I'm going to send my child to a place where they tell my children there's no God and they evolved from a monkey and they are the result of evolution? Absolutely not. My children will be uneducated before I let somebody teach them that. The days of drugs, foul language, and immorality had come to the public school system. And my dad said, There's no way in this world I will subject my children to that type of an atmosphere and that type of teaching. I remember in the late 70s my parents received a letter as did most every parent who had their children in Christian education and said it is not legal for you not to send your children to school and if your children are not in school they're going to be considered truant and if they're truant so many days we're going to remove them from your home so that your children will be sent to school. My dad said, you can put me in jail if you want to, but I'm not sending my kids to school. I'm old enough to remember that letter. I'm I'm old enough to remember in 1979 and 1980, the state Supreme Court here in Kentucky heard the case as to whether it would be legal or illegal for us to have Christian education. And our parents had already decided You can do what you want to do. And if you have to put us in jail, you can put us all in jail. But we're not sending our kids to be taught that from public schools. We're not sending children. That was the first generation. The second generation came along as we study not only the word of God, but we study history. And they inherited the truths that their parents taught them. But they went from a conviction and softened to a belief. Now, they would not fight for them, but they believed them. The second generation believed what their parents believed. They believed the truths that had been taught to them by their fathers, but they discussed them and they debated them and would defend them, but they were up for discussion. They weren't up for discussion with my parents' generation. You talk about something else, but you weren't talking about what the Bible says. They had already decided what they were going to do, and nothing was going to change that. How many of you understand what I'm preaching tonight? How many of you understand? You remember that. How many of you know what I'm talking about tonight? You, you believe that, you, or you remember that. Then the second generation, and and don't misunderstand me. I'm not being critical when I say this. I'm not mad at anyone. But the second generation, it happens in every area of life. We go from convictions to beliefs. We believe that. I believed what my parents believed. The first generation, driven by conviction, would stand and fight for the King James Bible and Christian education and standards of dress and decency and male and female. and They would stand for that. This generation or my generation believed that. We didn't really have to fight for it. That fight had been settled. We had received it. Then came the third generation, and oftentimes, and in Scripture and in history, the third generation changed their beliefs of their parents into their opinions. They were 30-plus years removed from the pain and shame that their grandparents had suffered for their sins And they went from the first generation's convictions to the second generation's belief to the third generation's opinions. And the third generation began. Don't miss this statement if you don't hear anything else. They traded truth for acceptance. I I, I, I don't want to separate from my friends. I want to be liked. I want to be accepted don't, don't misunderstand this, but our parents or our grandparents or whichever generation it was that first gave their life to serve God, they wanted you to like them, but they would not go and trade what they believed to be liked. They weren't about to join a club. They weren't interested in association. They were interested in identification of the truth. The third generation began to make excuse for the fire and passion of their fathers and forefathers. They would make statements like well grandpa didn't have a very good education. He was excited about what he did but he lacked understanding. And You know education is wonderful but when education replaces conviction and education replaces a conviction of truth. Education is more of a problem than it is a progress. The third generation brought in the opinions of the other side and placed them beside their opinions and said to their children, you make your own choice. You know, there's some things are not given for my children to make a choice about God said it, and that settles it, friend. It's not a matter. Doesn't make it true or false whether I believe it or don't believe it. If God said it's true, it's true. If God said it's false, it's false. Doesn't matter whether I accept it or not. The same can be said in America for every area of life, from church and spiritual to education to history to the Constitution and our republic. There was a generation, they fought for the Constitution. They fought for what we stood for as America. Another generation received the freedom that they fought for. Another generation goes to college, and they're taught to hate Israel. That doesn't take Sherlock Holmes to find out the reason they hate Israel is because they hate that book and they hate God. I mean, that, that's what they've been teaching in these institutions. In fact, we've gone to a generation beyond this today in America where they've rejected and denied the faith of their fathers. They denied the existence of what happened. And they tear down the statutes and the statues and they criticize them and what they believed in. And they change. And their children today alive, they couldn't name a president. They know nothing of the history of America. And they are a part of a system. That my dear friend, if you study the system of Hitler, it is absolutely no different. It is a godless system that is controlled by my feelings and my emotions and my sports and my media. Just satisfy me. I don't know who the governor is. I don't know who the president is. I don't know what the Bill of Rights are. I don't know what the Constitution is. But if you make me feel good, I like you. If you make me mad, I don't like you. It was to this third generation that John wrote with a broken heart to stir them to a revival of passion and commitment to the truths that were once delivered to the saints and the truths that he believed for which his brother had died. And I want to say to the third generation, I'm a second generation. My children are third generation My grandchildren are fourth generation and many of you are just like me as far as the generations are concerned. Let's not just teach our children the truth. Let's teach them why we believe the truth and let's tell them of the pain and suffering that comes from not obeying those truths. We can't be angry at a generation that doesn't know. We have to tell them of the price that was paid for sin. We have to tell them of the shame. We have to tell them why we do what we do. I understand there's a certain amount of truth. We do right because Dad said to do it and that's enough. I understand that. But dear friend, God gives us a Bible and we can go beyond saying because that's what Dad said We can go to this book and say, this is what God said and this is why. You see, the children of Israel, when they worship God, God bless them. I want to be blessed. I like the milk and honey. I like the grapes of Esco. I think you'd be a fool to worship the gods of the heathen. And he simply told them, you tell them how great and wonderful I have been so that they would set their hope in me. And you teach your children why you believe what you believe. Because the third generation had not known the price and pain of sin. They have little to no fear of the sin. And they have no fear of the path that leads them to that sin. In fact, they begin to see the benefits of the path of sin. Because they have not experienced the pain and dangers of sin. I'm running out of time quickly. For example, you know I expanded gambling past in Kentucky. One reason, revenue benefits but nobody said but wait a minute wait a minute let's look at the cost let's see what it cost us let's see why George Washington wouldn't let his men even play a simple game of cards of gambling let's see why gambling has been illegal for these 200 years let's see who and what is associated with gambling let's look and see what the price is God, give us somebody that'll stand up and not just say it's wrong, but tell us from the Word of God why it's wrong and the cost of the wrong. And I'm telling us tonight, if we're not careful, if we don't teach our children what God says about the blessings of right and the hurt of wrong, we'll have a generation that will take what we have earned and given to them, and they'll turn it upside down and they'll lose it because they haven't been taught Of the blessings of obedience and the pain of disobedience. Take your Bibles and go to Joshua 24. One of the reasons I preach this every two or three years is I'm yet to finish it. One of these days I'm going to finish the sermon. How many of you are third generation Christians? Raise your hand. Your grandparents were Christians. Your parents Christian, your third generation. Raise your hand. Stand up. Boy, that's a bunch. That's a, that's a bunch. Stand up. Third generation. Stand up real fast. Stand up real fast. Third generation. Now I want to tell you something tonight. We're blessed that the third generation still in church on Sunday night. I want you to look around you. There's a third generation still in church. Somebody's been teaching. You may be seated. Somebody's been teaching and preaching that Bible. That's why we don't have time to be sidetracked by compromisers or critics. we got to stay by the truth of the Word of God and keep teaching and preaching the truth of this Bible. Uh, Joshua 24, 31. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, generation 1. And all the days of the elders... Generation 2, that overlived Joshua, which uh, which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. Judges chapter 2, verse number 7, third generation. Verse 7, Judges 2, 7, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elder that outlived Joshua, had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. We just read that same thing at the end of the book of Joshua. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance of Timnath-Herus in the mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gaish. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. Three generations. How many times did that happened in history? How many times has it happened? World War II was the greatest generation America ever known. The elders of the second generation was the most prosperous of any generation, and oftentimes it was that third generation, no Bible, no right, no wrong, 1950s, highest attendance, highest church attendance in the history of America, and today it's the worst first generation is spiritual second generation carnal third generation unsaved every generation has to have someone to stand up and say I'm not just serving God because dad said and mom said now they said to I'm serving God because this is what the Bible says hey don't don't you follow me for me you follow that book right there you, you young men get a hold of that book and we've got to have some young people in the third generation to say, I promise you I'm going to be as excited and have as many convictions in my generation as the first generation had in serving God in my family. Abraham was a man of faith, Isaac was a follower, Jacob was a man of folly. Thank God, Jacob had a revival. His name was changed to Israel, and there was a revival in the third generation. First generation is convinced to serve. The second generation is conflicted about serving because they want the blessings, but they don't want the sacrifice. And the third generation is a cancel culture. The first is the people generation. The second is the possession generation generation because the people generation are blessed of God. The second generation they like those blessings so they become the possession generation. The third generation becomes the pride generation. If you don't want to become the second generation and the third generation then serve God with conviction. Get your Bible and read and study the Bible and know why you believe what you believe because God said it not just because mom and dad said it or the preacher said it and thank God that they said it but settle it in your heart—it's what God said. Amen. King David was the shepherd king. King Solomon was the kingdom builder. David had used—he—he—he—he he, he, he built the kingdom. King Solomon used the people to build the kingdom. King Rehoboam was a was the rebel, and he was a divider of the people. I'm trying to find the end of this sermon. I just heard someone say, let me help you. Here's what I'm saying. I'm not fussing at anybody. I'm not preaching this message because I'm mad. Here's why I'm preaching it. I want my grandchildren sitting right here and your grandchildren to be as excited about serving God as our grandparents were excited about serving God. You see, there's a generation that paid the price for this building. Thank God for it, but don't ever take it for granted. Don't ever be filled with pride, but thank God for what he's done. And you use this building and you use this property and you use what God has given to us to do a greater work, not become fat and lazy, but to do a greater work for God. I say tonight to the third generation, don't question what your parents taught you. Confirm it in the word of God. Stand with me if you will.